John chapter 1, beginning in verse 35, and we have just been looking at John the Baptist and him there as he sees Jesus coming, saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It tells us in verse 35, again the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus, he walked, as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? So we see these disciples of John the Baptist who are with him, who have, in this particular case, were looking specifically at John, the author of this book, and you'll find that he doesn't mention himself here, but over and over again as you go through the gospel, he'll refer to himself but doesn't mention himself. And there's a great deal of evidence of why it is John, that is the writer of this particular gospel, who is here. But go through and, and he sees these two, turns and says... What do you seek? Looks directly at the two disciples of John the Baptist. What do you seek? What are you looking for? What is it that you want? And here are these two who, they've been out with John the Baptist, that voice of one crying in the wilderness, hearing everything that he had been saying, saying that, that there's one coming after him who John the Baptist says, I wasn't worthy to even stoop down and, and loosen his sandal. The one that's been saying, he's coming after me. I'm a voice. I'm pointing ahead to him. And so Jesus turns, looks at them. What do you seek? I don't know everybody who is here this morning. I know many of you, you may be coming to church this morning and you've come seeking something. You came, for, you came for a reason. I know that there's people who've come through the doors of this church and they're just looking for something to live for. They're just at the end of their rope and they just they want something to live for. Others have come and... and and they just have a load of guilt on themselves. They have problems that seem insurmountable. That they have difficulties that are so great that they just feel like, I should probably just go try church. Um, there's others that I know that come because they've just had something traumatic happen in their family. Or they look and they, they're at that point of just fearing death. And they come and, and they, they just want to make sure that they're right with God. They, they come, I, I, I'm afraid, I, I want to come. I, I know that I've talked with people, some of you are still here today, who came primarily because you'd been to a funeral or you got sick. And there was this point in which God just woke you up a little bit and, and brought you here. And, and the main reason was... I'm afraid. I, I, did, I want to make sure I'm right with him. 
There's other people who come because they're lonely. Um, Maybe some came because a family member or a friend has asked you to come. But the same Jesus who is speaking to these particular men, it's the same Jesus who would speak to us this morning saying, what do you seek? And they, they say to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated, teacher. Where are you staying? Here they are walking behind him. What do you seek? Rabbi, where are you staying? Where is it that, that you're going tonight? Their biggest concern wasn't the location of where Christ was staying, but can we go to where you're going and spend some extra time with you? I mean, that, that's just all they want. Can, can we just can we go with you? Wherever it is that you're going, where are you staying? Can, we're leaving John the Baptist. You're the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. We just, we just want to go and be with you. And he says to them, come and see. Where are you staying? Hey, come and see. They came and they saw where he was staying. And they remained with him that day. He says, now it was about the 10th hour. This was the answer that they were hoping for. When they came and, 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 and said, where are you staying? They just... They wanted him to say, come and see, come. And Jesus responded perfectly, come, just come with me. Come and see. I'll spend time with you, Jesus says, I'll I'll talk with you. There's some controversy of what the 10th hour is, because if he was speaking from more of a Roman perspective, they started at midnight and it would have been 10 in the morning, but from a Jewish perspective, it would have been about four in the afternoon. So there's reasons to think, well, he spent the rest of the day with them. Maybe it was 10 in the morning. There's others that say, well, another, it was probably four o'clock because they would have been speaking from a Jewish perspective. I, I don't think that's what matters the most. I think what matters the most is that here, the author of the Gospel of John is writing this, and he says, and it was about the 10th hour. You've got to think, he's writing this years and years and years after it took place. But there's something that happened at that particular time to where he knew the hour. It happened. It, it happened at about the 10th hour. It was at that exact time that we, we went, my buddy and I went, and we just, we just went and spent time with Jesus. Not only that, but it's the detail when you look at it, someone who's just writing a gospel about something that they're not seeing firsthand doesn't write typically, and it was about the 10th hour. The detail that is there is showing that it's, it's the Apostle John who's writing this, saying it was exactly right around the 10th hour. It made such an impact on his life. Remember the very hour that he met Christ. In verse 40, it says, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. 
one of the two was Andrew. Um, the other of the two was John. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. So here Andrew is. And Andrew goes and he, he spends time with John and with Jesus. Andrew's a fisherman. Uh, his, his, his name means manly. It's a good, strong name. Fisherman. Apparently, he took some time off and, and left his nets, left his fishing, and went and spent time with John the Baptist in the wilderness. And we see with, with this particular man, Andrew, he's not... He's not mentioned very often in Scripture. When he is mentioned, he almost is always bringing someone to Christ. You'll hear the Peter, James, and John. Those were like the three that were a part of that inner circle with Jesus, frequently going with Jesus in different places. And so when you talk about that inner circle, you'll refer to Peter, James, and John, and sometimes Andrew. Sometimes Andrew was a part of that. But Andrew, as we look at, he's one that is always bringing people to Christ. After his time with Jesus and with John, the first thing that he wanted to do was to tell his brother Simon about Christ. The first thing he wants to do, he spends time with Christ. And we don't know exactly what it is that was said during that time, but I... I think we'd be fairly certain that Jesus just went through and sat with, with John and Andrew and said, this is me in the Old Testament. This is the one that you, I am the one that you have been looking for. Because the first thing that he says when he comes to his brother Simon is, we have found the Messiah. We found Christ. We found him. It immediately leaves and he does this. He wants to go and to get his big brother and to share the good news of how he is certain that Christ is the Messiah. Just for the sake of, of seeing how evangelism works like this, how, how many of you who are in here, who are believers here this morning, you were first introduced to Jesus in the gospel through a family member. How many of you guys were saved as a result of a family member sharing the Lord with you? Raise your hand. You, you, look, you look around the room, there, there's a good, good chunk of people, huh? Significant number of people where they heard the gospel through a family member. I, I have vivid memories of being just a little guy and having my mom and dad just take us through scripture. I, I, can, I can remember going through and asking questions just as, as our little guy does and as Natalie does with us, but just going through, what's heaven going to be like? And then we just go and start explaining what heaven's going to be like. Um, going through and anytime Natalie will come to me and say, Let's talk, Daddy. And I'll say, what do you want to talk about? 
the only response that she has ever given is, let's just talk about Jesus. And it happens on a daily basis. Just let's talk about Jesus. And I say, well, what do you want to talk about Jesus about? Tell me about when he turned over all the tables. (laughs) That's usually the thing that she wants to talk about. Someone did some kind of Sunday school lesson that has traumatized my daughter. But... (laughs) I go from there to explain why it is that Jesus overturned the tables. Um, But we talk about all kinds of different things. And as a three-year-old, I love seeing her get this. Jonathan as well, six years old, and just looking and hearing about Jesus. But I can remember being a child just asking questions about Jesus. Asking questions about who he is and how is it that we could be saved. And having my parents sit there as we would, would be laying down and trying to find reasons to not fall asleep. They would just continue to tell us about, about Jesus. But also those who get saved later on in life. And it's the family members that go so often. And the first thing they wanted to do is, i got to tell my brother. i got to tell my sister. I want my parents to see this. And sometimes it's not well received at all. Um, But other times it is. Other times those that are closest with you can look and say, something has taken place in this brother's life or my sister's life or my son's life. He is different. She is different than they were before. God has done something in their life. Andrew just wants to tell his big brother. Andrew's a man that, that like I said before, you don't, you don't hear much about. Um, you, you don't find him with long sermons or, or being the one that's in the forefront throughout the Gospels of who's being spoken of. But he's bringing people to Christ. I read this week of of a man by the name of Edward Kimball. Most of you have probably never heard of Edward Kimball. But he was the man that led D.L. Moody to Christ. D.L. Moody was a a famous evangelist that, that went all over the United States Right, Europe, proclaiming the gospel. Um, this guy, Edward, Edward Kimball, went one afternoon to a Boston shoe store. And there was a 19-year-old boy there named Deal Moody. And, and, and Moody was there working. And Edward came and kind of followed him to the stockroom and introduced him to Christ. As I read about this, it tells us that Kimball wasn't any kind of incredible evangelist. He was timid and he was soft-spoken. He went to that shoe shop frightened and trembling and unsure of whether he had enough courage to confront this young man with the gospel. John MacArthur uses this as an illustration and he says, at the time, Moody was, was crude and obviously illiterate, But the thought of speaking to him about Christ had Kimball trembling in his boots. 
Kimball recalled the incident years later. And he said, I, I decided to speak to Moody about Christ and about his soul. I started down um, town to Holton's shoe store. When I was nearly there, I, I began to wonder whether I ought to go just then during the, the business hours. I thought maybe my mission might embarrass the boy. That when I, I, I went away, the other clerks might ask who, who I was. And when they learned, might taunt Moody and ask if I was trying to make a good boy out of him. And while I was pondering over it all, I, I passed the store without noticing it. And then when I, I found I had gone by the door, I determined to make a dash for it and have it over at once. Kimball found Moody working in, in the stockroom, wrapping and shelving shoes. And Kimball said he spoke with limping words. He later said, I, I could never remember just what I did say, something about Christ and his love. That was all. He admitted it was a weak appeal. But Moody then and there gave his heart to Christ. And you look in this, not, no, no one knows of Kimball. But here he is and just thinking, I just, I, I just want to share the gospel with this teenager. I just want to share the gospel with him, but I'm afraid. What is he going to think? What are other people going to think? Maybe I shouldn't do it right now. Maybe I should do it later. And yet he goes back and he wants to proclaim the gospel to him. Now look, and I, I, th- I think of this and think of us as, as God's people. You, you may not be someone who has boldness as far as, I just want to go tell as many people as possible about Christ. Um, there, there's some that are gifted in that way in just incredible ways. I, I was taken to the airport uh, just a couple months ago by a young man. I, I hadn't met him before, but I was going with, with Tristan, another pastor, and we're going. And he picked me up first, so I was just talking with him. I'd never met him before, but his... His car was covered with all kinds of stickers and, you know, verses that were on his windows. And, and so I knew, like, yeah, this is a young man, he's, but he's pretty radical, huh? And I asked him, like, how do you serve? Like, what, what do you do? How do you serve in the church? And he said, I just, I just want to tell people about Christ. I, 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 I plan, I, I go down to the DMV because I know they have no place to go. <laughs> So every week I just go to the DMV and I just stay there and just tell people about Christ at the DMV. And you look and you think like, yeah, you're, I mean, when you're there, you're stuck, aren't you? I mean, you're just stuck and you're always, not always that happy to be there. But he just thought about it. Where's a good place to tell people about Christ? DMV, they have a fixed audience. It just goes and shares Christ with people. But just a hard to do that. I look and, and I pray that God puts that heart into many of us here. You may not be called in the same way, but, but even the calling to go and say, I just, I just want to tell my brother. I want to tell my mom. I want to tell my dad. I want to tell my sister. I want to tell my cousin. I want to tell my neighbor. I, just, I want to tell people about Christ. Just to go to somebody that you love and say, can I just, 
can I have like 15 minutes with you? If I could just have 15 minutes with you, I I just just want to tell you about what is the most important thing to me in this world. And just sit down with them and just tell them what Christ has done in your life. Tell them you could have the next 15 minutes and you could tell me what's most important to you. But if I could just have 15 minutes just to tell you what is the most important thing to me, who is the most important person to me. And you may think and say, I don't know if I'll have all the answers. But that wasn't Andrew's main concern. He just says, we found the Messiah. We have a number of different resources that are in our bookstore. And I'll mention some, but there's these little pamphlets that are put out by Rose Publisher Publishing. And these are just outstanding if if you want one, just to put it in your car. I mean, to have it, it goes through verses and, and, and lays things out precisely, and it gives you pictures and everything. And you can go through, and I just pulled a couple from the bookstore. Why trust the Bible? I mean, it's frequently what people ask. Why trust the Bible? And to be able to go through, I, I, we took the family to a sandwich place a couple weeks ago and sat down and uh, I told the guy that I'd grown up in the area, never heard of his sandwich place, but it, it, they had been there for like 40 years. And, and New York Deli, right there on Avery and Marguerite. Good place to go. Get Rachel special. And you go, and it's just outstanding. And, and we're there, and I, I talking with the manager there, and, and I said, oh, I'm a pastor in the area. Like, do you guys do catering? Because good stuff, you know? And... He said, oh, you're a pastor. What church? So we started talking. I go, do you go to church? He's like, oh, sometimes. I don't, to be honest with you, like, it's just really hard for me to trust the Bible. I mean, come on, really? You trust the Bible, you know? Uh, there's all kinds of stories in there. I don't think that they're true. And he's saying this in front of my family and my little six-year-old and my three-year-old. And at first I was kind of thinking, like, I don't really like that, that you just said that in front of my little kids, you know? So I just proceeded to say, like, can I tell you why I trust the Bible? I mean, it's, it's written over a period of, of 1,600 years by 40 different authors on three different continents in three different languages. I mean, all different kinds of people and kings and military leaders and tax collectors and fishermen. It's written in times of peace and times of war, times where there's plenty and times where there's want. All different times, and yet there's this constant theme throughout scripture it's just in perfect unity clearly the hand of god i I went through i said like there's passages that just say when christ would be born the very the very day that he would go down in his triumphal entry into jerusalem the very day was prophesied hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before not only that but where jesus would be born in bethlehem it goes through it gives you all kinds of details of his life showed him areas where it talks about the crucifixion and details of the crucifixion before crucifixion had ever been formed. Not only that, but it's just this theme of there must be the shedding of blood for the remission of sin and just pointing him to Adam and Eve and going from there to Cain and Abel and going from there to to the whole sacrificial system and taking them to the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world and just telling him about all of these prophecies. I said there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them that have been fulfilled in perfection. And how do you explain that? I mean, how do you explain that? How do you explain that 
scripture goes through and just gives incredible detail. And then it, it, it all points towards Christ. It's in perfect unity. I said, honestly, like, I don't know how people don't believe the Bible. And when you start looking at it, it is just incredible to see God's plan of salvation and the perfection of Scripture all the way through. And, and he listened. And we got in the car and I said, you guys, that, that guy, he wasn't a Christian, but we, we just shared the gospel with him, didn't we? And the kids were like, we shared the gospel. Jonathan said, I've only shared the gospel once. And it was with Sadie, and we shared the gospel together to somebody that was being really mean. But I want to share the gospel. And just listen, I want them to hear us share the gospel. But you could just go through and say, like, I don't know much, but can I read, like, three paragraphs to you? I mean, like, you can go through and do that. You have things on the evidence for the resurrection and just details that are given up. Why do we believe in the resurrection? Christ in the Passover, just details that go through of how Christ is pictured there in the Passover. Christ in the Old Testament, just show them hundreds and hundreds of verses of Christ in the Old Testament, the perfection of it. Just list the verses for you. Intelligent design, how do we know that we were created? And you just go through like, you could have it. I mean, you could have this. I could go through it with you a little bit. I mean, there's a lot of questions and take them all. You know, like you just share with them, but point them to Christ. It's easy and you go through and you could go through them and memorize some of the things just so you can be able to proclaim the gospel, but having a heart that just looks and says, I just, I found the Messiah and I want to tell you where he is. I want to tell you who he is. After the resurrection, Andrew just kept telling others, We have found the Messiah. He proclaimed the gospel all the way up to Russia. It's even thought that he went from there over to Scotland. Came back down to Greece. And he shared the gospel with the wife of a Roman governor. She got saved. And when the governor heard about it, he became irate and told his wife that she had to deny Christ as her Lord. And she would not. The governor then had Andrew crucified on an X-shaped cross. We're told through history that he was bound to that cross um, Put him on an X-shaped cross so they would prolong his suffering. But as he hung there for two days, he just told as many people that passed by the message of the gospel. Just love the gospel. I just want to bring people to Christ. And that's what he did. So he first found his brother Simon and said to him, We found the Messiah In verse 42, it says, and he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah, and you shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone or a rock. You're going to be called Cephas or also translated Peter. You're going to be Peter from this point on. I love this. I look at this and here's Andrew. Come on, big brother. Let's go. I'm going to take you to him. We found the Messiah. I'm taking you to him. He comes, Jesus looks at him. Hey, you're, you're Simon, son of Jonah. From now on, I'm going to call you Cephas. I'm going to call you Peter. From now on, you're going to be the rock. Changing your name. He's looking at this and just the work of God in Peter's life. It's not like, hi, nice to meet you. Can, can I just show you a few things? It's just like, I know who you are. From now on, I'm changing your name. You're Peter. 
And that's what he does. Peter was someone who had a strong personality, big guy, we're told. He, he would later take out his sword and chop off a guy's ear. He, he was one who was known as just a leader amongst the disciples. Frequently would say the wrong thing. But God says, I'm changing your name to what you are going to become. You're going to become a rock. I'm going to call you what I'm going to make you. Right now, you're unstable. Right now, you move with your emotions and you do whatever you think is right in your own eyes. But I'm going to make you a rock that is steady and that will persevere until the end. And God changes us like that too, doesn't he? Just changes us. Comes and shows us our sin and shows us our need for the gospel and shows us that he is the Messiah and shows us that we are in desperate need of salvation. And he just changes us. And that's what he did to Peter. You look at Peter and he, he's the one that preaches there at Pentecost. There before these people, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. And you have taken him by lawless hands and crucified and put him to death. God raised him up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. And later on we read that those that heard this sermon as he continued on, they were cut to the heart. And Peter and the rest of the apostles said, Men and brethren, what, they said to them, What shall we do? And Peter says to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off and as many as the Lord will call, our God will call. And it says, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. And then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day there were about 3,000 souls added to them. Just radical. You're going to be called rock. And you just hear him proclaim the gospel and 3,000 people get saved. Peter's one who, not only did he follow Christ, but he followed him even to his death. We're told just in church history that he, in being put to death, he was crucified. Um, he was forced to watch his wife be crucified first. And as he's watching her be crucified, he's, it's recorded in history that he said to her, remember the Lord. Watching his wife be crucified, just remember the Lord. And then he goes to be crucified, and he asks to be crucified upside down because he doesn't want to be put to death in the same way as his Lord. The following day, verse 43, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and said to him, follow me. And Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Those two verses say a lot to me as I look at it. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. From the wilderness, he wants to go to Galilee. And what does he do? He finds Philip. He finds him. He says to him, follow me. We see God specifically going towards this particular man. I want to find Philip. Had he been introduced to Philip before we have no evidence of that at all. 
He specifically goes and he finds Philip. I want to find Philip. And he goes to Philip and says, follow me. In John 15 and verse 16, it says, Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. You think of when it is that you became a Christian and to think that God specifically came to you. To you. I think of my last trip into Sudan, South Sudan, and how I had this big guy come up to me and say, I remember you. From 1998, during the famine, I was just a little boy. I was just a little boy. And I would go to where you were staying, your little tent, your little compound that was there, and I would stay outside and just wait for you to come out. And in that area, the starvation was just terrible. I mean, it was like, horrific as far as what was taking place. And he said, I, I, would, I would wait for you to come out and you would come out and then I would hold your hand and just walk with you throughout the village. And I would be with you all day. I'd hear everything that you said. I, I would leave in, at nighttime and go back to my, my little hut. And, and when I was laying in my hut, my heart would just be pounding and I just would think I gotta be the first one up to get back to that compound in the morning. I just wanna be the first one up. And he just says, like, it was then on that trip and hearing you share the gospel with all these people, me and another guy, Jim, he goes, it was on that trip that God saved me. And now he's Sebit's right man. The ministry that takes place there and all the second place, he's his right-hand man, just serves, helps teach at the Bible college, does all kinds of things, shares the gospel with as many people as he can. But here it is, just a little guy. And is it by chance that that little guy stayed around? Said by chance that his heart was beating, I just want to be there, I want to be around them. No. God specifically calls people, and he calls us as well. But look at verse 45 as we continue there. Philip and Nathaniel. So the first thing he does and says is, I want to go find my friend. I want to go find my friend. He finds Nathaniel, and he says to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. I think this is interesting because Jesus goes and specifically finds Philip. And then Philip goes to his friend and says, we found him. I found him. And that's, isn't that how it is for us as well? We, we, when we look at scripture and you see divine election, you see God calling us to salvation. It doesn't change the fact that in our minds is, I found him. My eyes have been opened. I see Christ. I know that I'm in need of a Savior, and I know who it is that has saved me. I got the best news. I want to tell you about Christianity. I want to tell you about what I've learned. I want to tell you about who I found. I found Christ. Because our hearts go to like a place of seeing Christ, the Holy Spirit, woo us unto salvation, and we see him, and we just want to tell people about Christ. But ultimately, we look at it, and we see that Christ wants to go to Galilee specifically to find Philip. Philip's response is, we found him. And he just wants to go tell his friend. There's a group of guys that are at our church that all went to Chirica Hills High School and all played football there and they played together. And I was talking with someone who graduated with these guys and I'm like, oh, you graduated in that class? Like, 
um, this guy goes to our church, this guy goes to our church, this one, this one. These guys, they all go to our church. And, and this guy who's coaching at Chirico is a believer. And he's like, those guys are all believers? I'm like, yeah. He's like, no way. Real, all the, seriously, Dennis? Chris, Ronnie, like PJ, these guys are all believers. And to be able to say, yeah, and I, I don't know how it all happened, but these guys were all good friends and just watching the Holy Spirit work and just people come to salvation. It's glorious. But tell a friend, tell a friend about Christ. Tell him what it is that causes you to adore him and to treasure him above all things. So he finds, Philip finds Nathanael and says to him, we found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Meaning that more than likely Philip and Nathanael both were those who studied scripture and they, they wanted to know who the Messiah was, that they went, at least we find that, that within them they're hearing of John the Baptist and seeing all that's taken place and Immediately he goes and he says, this is the one, the one. When you go through scripture and you look at the Messiah who is to come, this is him. We found him. Well, Nathaniel just says to him, can, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Is there any? Jesus of Nazareth? Can any good thing come from Nazareth? And Philip says to him, just come and see. Just come and see. Just come. He didn't go through and give a sermon. It was just, come. Come and see. A heart that looks and says to someone, can I just tell you about Christ? Maybe you're not comfortable. Just, can you come, come to church with me? I heard of someone that visited our church. Um, I talked to them on the phone yesterday and, and asking them, how did you hear about the church? And, and these particular people were believers already, but how did you hear about the church? And I was like, well, this guy, Jim, came pushing a stroller by and just gave us a, a flyer. Jim Vreeke someplace in here just gave him a flyer I don't know if he proceeded with a sermon but it may have just been like hey I'm going to go for a walk with the kids and if I see someone I'm going to grab some just of the church flyers and just give them to people invite them to come to church could have gone by unbelievers in, in, in their houses and just said like hey come and see Boom. there you go So I want them to know about Christ Come and see. History tells us that Philip um, was one of the first disciples to be martyred. He was stoned to death in Asia Minor. But it wasn't until multitudes of people came to know Christ. With Nathaniel, you see that Jesus sees him coming. And he says to him, Behold an Israelite indeed in whom the, there is no deceit, no guile, no deceit. And Nathaniel says to him, 
how do you know me? Nathaniel had said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And I don't know if he's looking at like, just biblically speaking, he was supposed to come from Bethlehem. Can anything good thing come from Nazareth? Or he could be looking at it and saying like, I'm from Cana and he's from Nazareth and I don't really like Nazareth that much. And there's nothing special about it. Can any good thing come from there? But Jesus comes to him and just responds by saying, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. You, you just say it as it is. You're honest in the way that you think. Nathaniel says to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answers and says to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Before Philip came to you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. We don't know the details of what took place there. We, we don't know that whether, whether he was in a, a place of, of just in tears and, or, or praying or just wanting God to just meet him. We don't know what took place, but whatever it was, he was under this fig tree and he knows that nobody would have seen him there. And Jesus says, when you're under the fig tree, before Philip came, I saw you. And Nathaniel answered and says to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. That's his response. You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. God spoke specifically to him and revealed himself to him in such a way that he just knew without a doubt he is God. Without a doubt he is the Messiah. He knew and he saw me when I was under that fig tree. He is my Messiah. And I look at this and... God does that to us as well, doesn't he? Times where you're sitting there in a sermon and, and I've had people walk out saying, did my wife talk to you before this sermon? Or that, that was just for me. You don't know what I've been going through. That was, that was just for me. And the way that the Holy Spirit works, and I'm not... I'm not preparing sermons based on your wife telling me about all the bad things that you do. Because <laughs> it would be the same sermon every week <laughs> for different men within the church. <laughs> it's just going through the text, and yet the Holy Spirit speaks directly to people, doesn't he? Directly to people. Jesus answered and says to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. You believe because I said I saw you under the fig tree? Oh, you have no idea what you're going to see. Is it? You're going to see way bigger things than that. And did he? Absolutely. Absolutely, to the point where it was his desire to go and proclaim the gospel, even to the uttermost parts of the world, just like all the disciples, even to die for his faith. Jesus goes on, he says, and he says to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. What is that talking about? Without a doubt, it's talking about Genesis 28 and verse 10, where Jacob's there and went out from Beersheba, and he goes to Haran, and he's there, and he's staying the night there, and it tells us that when the sun set, he took out one of the stones of that place, and he put his head on it. And he laid down in that place to sleep. Not, not 
the best pillow you could ever imagine. But here he is, he's got a rock, a stone. He lays his head on the stone. And he has a dream. And behold, there was a ladder that was set up on the earth. And its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And Jesus says, you know, when Jacob had the dream of the ladder, I am the ladder. I am the ladder. I am the one in whom you will see that I am the ladder between earth and heaven. I'm the ladder in which you will see those ascending and descending upon that ladder. You want to spend eternity in heaven, I am the ladder. The only way for us to spend eternity is through him. The only way for us to spend eternity with Christ is through Christ, the ladder, the one in whom through faith in him our sins can be removed and his righteousness can be placed upon our account and we could be saved. It's the best news that anybody could ever hear. Brothers and sisters, we love the gospel, don't we? We look and we think of the message of the gospel and there's a reason why it's called the good news. Because every man and woman and child who is in the sanctuary today can know with absolute certainty that they will spend eternity in heaven. And it's not going to be based upon whether you have done enough. It's not going to be based upon whether your good works outweigh the sinful things that you've done. It's not going to be based on whether you were a good enough husband or a good enough wife or a good enough child or a good enough friend or whether you did enough in church or whether you gave enough or whether you were a hard worker or whether you helped people that needed help. It's not based on that. It's not based on your righteousness at all. It's totally and completely based on Jesus Christ who died to take your sins upon himself so that through faith in him, your sins could be removed and you could be given robes of righteousness that are foreign, that are not your own, that are the very righteous robes of Christ. And you could spend eternity with him where all the glory goes to him for your salvation because it is him that saved you. And you are saved by faith, not of works, lest anybody should ever be able to boast. You would never be able to boast. It's all of him and it all comes by faith. It is the best news that we could ever possibly hear. Go and tell people. Go and tell people. You have the words of eternal life and you have been commissioned to go and to be a light and to proclaim the gospel and to make disciples here and even to the uttermost parts of the world. May we have boldness in the proclamation of the gospel. Look at these guys. They just go, I want to tell my big brother. I want to tell my friend. Just come and see. Just come and see. I want you to meet my best friend. I want you to meet my Savior. I want you to meet my God. I want you to meet the one who took the load of sin off me and gave me his righteousness. I want to take you to him where there is no doubt in my mind that he is my savior. I could show you in scripture and if not, I'll give you a pamphlet. I'll show you he is my savior. I know these things and this is how I know. And may we be bold witnesses of the best news that anybody could ever hear. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word. Um, We thank you for the way that you call disciples after you. We thank you for the way that you called us. You sought us. Even when we were not seeking you, you sought us. And it's through faith in you, Lord, that we have become your people and we have been 
changed and we've been made new creations and we've been given everlasting life and what a glory it is to be here and to sing praises to the one who has redeemed us, who has purchased us with his precious blood. May you give us just boldness and just love for you and adoration towards you that causes us to love our neighbors and to love our brethren and to go and to proclaim the gospel. What a God we serve. Praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.